Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. As a kid, I was uh, I was really into reading, um, and I still am into reading. But as, as a kid, there was the world was different, right? There was a lot less distractions. Mostly, um, I'm I'm distracted most days uh, by this little 14 month old that I have that uh, just started taking steps this week. And so, um, you know, you can just pray for me. Uh, he's showed interest in climbing. So I'm going to have to nail everything to the wall this week. Um, sorry, trustees. <laughs> but other than, other than my son, uh, I'm easily distracted by uh, this thing that I hold in my hand that I'm supposed to make phone calls on, but I don't ever talk to anybody on it. I just scroll through looking for good news, and I find very little of it, right? Uh, but I still am into reading. I've kind of taken a, a hiatus from reading for pleasure, uh, just because life gets busy. But, but I do love to read. I, I read as much as I can. And, and this is uh, something that was instilled in me by my parents who read to me and supported my love of getting lost in stories by making sure that I had access to them. We went to the library. We went to bookstores. We got books. And so I really got into the habit of reading. It was a nice way of escaping the world, even at a young age. And so this all kind of set up and enabled my excitement as I waited for the announcement every single school year of some really, really good news. Because at some point, without fail, throughout every school year, there would be a day that came when the teacher would unwrap a stack of colorful papers, hand them out to us, and announce that the Scholastic Book Fair was coming to our school. And so the Scholastic Book Fair was, if you don't know about it, it was like the holy grail of, of stories for kids. They had everything from from Bernstein Bears all the way up to the much older and darker scary stories to tell in the dark. But most popular amongst my, my schoolmates and beloved by me was uh, a series of novels called Goosebumps. Now, these were uh, silly yet somewhat terrifying stories that were the greatest desire of every single kid in the school. And they're, you know, we didn't have Amazon.com back then. We couldn't just like get goosebumps on demand we had to we had to wait and i don't think we had to wait as long as my parents made me feel like i had to wait because as far as i understood goosebumps only came around once a year so once that order form came out 
we knew that it was game on for acquiring all of these stories that we desired to have in our lives. So each year we waited until that very moment when the good news was announced, the coming of the Scholastic Book Fair. Now, I know it's silly, but as a kid, this was a super exciting situation. It was everything that I waited a whole year for. And if you remember how time goes when you're a kid, one kid year is like 100 adult years, right? Maybe 400 adult years. So the book fair announced for us a new era of life, new adventures to embark on, new worlds to explore, and new ways to escape my life and all of the elementary school drama that I had managed to, to enshrine it with. We left off our story last week with our Israelite friends desperately waiting for some good news. See, they've been, we've been working through the entire Bible here over the past several weeks and seeing how it is really just one story that all leads to Jesus. And so we've talked about uh, how God created a good world and how humans have messed it up pretty bad but how God uh, called one family that he decided he would use as a vessel to bless the entire world. And so he liberated that family from slavery in Egypt, and he gave them a land, a promised land, and, and a kingdom, and with those, the ability to be a people group who blessed the world. However, as we've discovered, the, the people were unable to follow God's laws and, and God's way of living. And, and they, they found themselves exiled down in a land of, called Babylon. But luckily, they were able to return to their home in Judah and in the city of Jerusalem and, and rebuild the, the temple and the walls of their city. But it was never quite the same as it once was. They were people who were consistently subjects of another empire. And so they waited. And they waited in hope that, that a new king would come and, and lead Israel out of the oppression that they faced under the Persian, the Greek, and finally the Roman empires. And it's into this context that we finally enter into the New Testament part of our story. You probably like, man, finally. Like, dude, this is the part that we like, right? You've been talking about the, the, this really old stuff, and, and this is the part that we really want to know about. But I feel like I've talked about Jesus every week of this sermon series, so you're going to have to give me some grace uh, on that. But today we begin talking about this new thing that God is doing in the world and in Jerusalem in particular. And so, it's here, finally, <laughs> that we're at the Jesus part. Maybe the part you've all been waiting for, certainly the part that the people called Israel were waiting for. Finally, the good news. And so, the first four books of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are known to us as the Gospels. And each of them tells a story of Jesus' life from a different perspective. But have you ever wondered what the word gospel actually means? 
Because it's a word that we, that we use a lot in the church and as Christians. And it's almost one of those words that we've used so much that we've kind of forgotten what it actually means. And for the most part, what we mean as American Christians when we say the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is one of the core tenets of our faith, that, that Jesus came and died for our sins. And I'm not saying that that isn't true. That's, that's very much true. That is, that is the glue that holds our faith together. It's the thing that keeps us going and motivates us to be the church. But what that statement is, Jesus died for your sins, is not the entirety of the gospel. It's actually just one part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what is the gospel? Well, first of all, the gospel is good news. The word literally means good news. <laughs> so as an elementary school kid, I was actually really excited about the gospel of the Scholastic Book Fair. That sounds really weird to say and to hear, right? But technically, linguistically, it's not incorrect. <laughs> but certainly the good news about Jesus has a much deeper and life-changing connotation than the good news of my Goosebumps dealer coming to town. So I want to just jump into the book of Mark, and I want to show you something. So Mark is kind of quickly becoming my favorite of the four Gospels, mostly because it's the shortest. But also, uh, you know, Mark doesn't, like, mess around. Mark's, Mark's very fast-paced. Mark doesn't necessarily want to tell you all of the details. He wants to tell you the stuff that matters. In fact, he doesn't even care to tell us about when Jesus was born. And so Mark gets right into, uh, in chapter 1, the ministry of Jesus as an adult. And so this is Mark chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 9. It says, in those days, Jesus came, I'm sorry, this is verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I've already told you that the term good news is a word that we commonly translate as gospel. And actually, in other versions, translations of your Bible, it'll say gospel there where we read good news. And so, really, this says that, that Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, the Greek word that's translated as either good news or gospel in your Bible is the word euangelion. And it's a word that has birthed some modern-day words that we use a lot, like evangelical and evangelism. And euangelion is not a word that Jesus invented. It's not a word that Jesus' followers invented. It is a common Greek word that was used throughout time to introduce the dawn of a new era. Typically, it was a term used to announce the reign of, of a new king. And so I say this a lot when we talk about Jesus, but Jesus was born into a time when Israel was ruled over by the Roman Empire. Specifically, Jesus was born when Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. And so I want to read to you an inscription found in the Greek region of the Roman Empire and just 
stir this around in your brain as you read it and listen to it, because it might sound a little bit familiar to things that we say as Christians. And so it goes, whereas providence that orders all of our lives has in her display of concern and generosity in our behalf adorned our lives with the highest good, Augustus, whom she has filled with virtue for the benefit of humanity and has in her beneficence granted us and those who will come after us a savior who has made war to cease and who shall put everything in peaceful order. And whereas Caesar, when he was manifest, transcended the expectations of all who had anticipated the good news, the euangelion, the gospel, not only by surpassing the benefits conferred by his predecessors, but leaving no expectation of surpassing him to those who would come after him, with the result that the birthday of our God signaled the beginning of the good news, the gospel for the world because of him. These are words that are written in the year 6 B.C. So look at what was being said about Caesar just a few years before Jesus Christ was born. They were saying Caesar is the savior of the world. Caesar has caused war to cease. Caesar has put everything in order. Caesar will never be surpassed. Caesar's birth signaled the beginning of the gospel. That wouldn't strike an Israelite hearer very well. Because according to the Israelites, this is what they said about their God. These come, this comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7. They said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. God is the one who is the savior of the world. God is the one who brings peace. God is the one who causes war to cease. Now, the book of Isaiah is uh, written in Hebrew, but Jesus' contemporaries and, and uh, Jesus himself would use a version of it called the LXX, or the Septuagint, which was essentially the Old Testament scriptures written in the Greek language. And that word for good news is translated from Hebrew into Greek using the word euangelion, the same word used to announce the gospel of Jesus in Mark's book, the same word used to announce the gospel of Caesar in that inscription that I read to you. And consequently, it's the same word used to announce the fact that David's son, Solomon, has become the king of Israel way back in the book of Kings. So what is the gospel? What all that means is, is that the gospel is actually a royal announcement that a new king or, or queen has taken the throne. And that a new era as, 
is beginning. And, and we've recently seen this in our world, right? It doesn't necessarily affect us as Americans, but the UK and all countries that, that recognize the British monarchy as the head of their states have gotten an announcement that they have a new king. With the passing of Queen Elizabeth, there's a new king on the throne, Charles. And we could call that a gospel announcement, complete with a ridiculous amount of pomp and circumstance in the weeks and months ahead, correct? And so we have to ask ourselves, if all of these other things are gospels, what makes the gospel of Jesus so much different than the gospel of Caesar Augustus or the gospel of King Charles or even the gospel of the Scholastic Book Fair? Well, it begins and truly ends with the fact that the gospel of Jesus is good news for everyone. You see, the gospel of Caesar was only good news for Roman citizens, those who truly benefited from the atrocious oppression that Caesar's militarized and iron-fisted peacekeeping efforts created. Caesar's gospel was not good news for the poor. It was not good news for slaves. It was not good news for orphans. It wasn't really good news for anyone other than those back at home in Rome. I have a friend from England, and I said, I asked him, I said, for who wouldn't the gospel of King Charles be good news? And he said, we'll find out. <laughs> But many might not benefit from the policies that he seeks to import. And even as much as I loved the Scholastic Book Fair, you know, that thing wasn't good news for everybody. It wasn't good news for kids that struggled to read and had no support at home or in school to help them develop. It wasn't good news for kids who left school that day empty-handed because their families couldn't afford to buy books about silly stories that you tell in the dark. You know, but the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus was and remains good news for all because the gospel of Jesus is a universal gift that is offered to all people regardless of their nation of origin, regardless of their citizenship status, regardless of their housing status, their financial status, their social status, etc., the gospel of Jesus is the announcement that there is a new king in charge, that a new era has come upon humanity, the kingdom of God. And this pronouncement stands in direct contradiction and defiance to what this world was saying about Caesar. See, Rome said Caesar is the savior of the world. But John 1.29 says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or in, in Matthew's gospel about Mary, she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, Rome said Caesar brought peace and order, and none will ever surpass him. But the prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus who would come. 
For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there should be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, everything about the gospel of Jesus is a direct refutation of what everyone in the world believed about Caesar. The gospel of Jesus overturned the faith that the people were being told that they should put in the king of Rome. It said, you have heard it said that you should declare your allegiance to Caesar and Rome, but I tell you, put your faith and your allegiance in Jesus. Rome will let you down. Rome is not for everyone, but Jesus has come for all. And the good news, that the gospel that Jesus brings is that not only has a new era begun, but that all are invited to come and live into what this new era in human history has to offer. It's a new way of living, a, a transformed way of seeing and interacting with the world and with its people. Living in God's kingdom, meant and still means a radical rearranging of how the world operates. Jesus invited us to do crazy things, like sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Or, or lay down your arms and, and seek peace through radical forgiveness. Things that, that still to us sound insane. Things that we wouldn't believe were possible, let alone practical, if Jesus had not done those very things himself when he took up the cross. See, Jesus was not a man who owned much, but what Jesus had was his life. And he let Judas sell it for 30 pieces of silver so that he could lay it, lay it down for all who might come to believe in him. And instead of raising up an army to protect himself, Jesus willingly gave himself up, rebuking his disciples when they resisted the authorities that arrested him. And then, when he hung there from that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This new era, this new kingdom, this gospel, that Jesus came to proclaim is unlike anything that the world had ever seen and unlike anything that the world will ever see again until Jesus returns to, in glory to take his earthly throne forever. See, this gospel offers us a new way to live, not a, a, a way of living that is enforced on us by rules, by regulations, by law codes, by armies, or by any kind of fear tactics, but a way of living that is offered to us through the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It's a way of living that reflects the very heart of God, where, where the real leaders are servants who look after all of the people, 
that, that Caesar and all the Caesars of our world sense, all of the governments and all of the societies that we've created, all the people left behind by those. It's a way of life that is made available to everyone through simple faith that Jesus is who he said he was and that the fact that Jesus came conquered sin and death on his way to becoming the cosmic king. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to be good news. It's meant to tell the story that, that we truly desire, much like the, I desired those goosebumps stories as a kid. Jesus himself said that he came to proclaim good news to the poor and to set the captives free. And for a long, long time, that's just what Jesus and his followers did. See, after Jesus came up out of that grave and unleashed his apostles to the world to build the church, the announcement of the gospel spread from nation to nation. And that announcement came twofold. An invitation to repent, to turn away from sin and turn their allegiance to Jesus, as well as a real and tangible understanding of what God's community looks like. They fed the hungry. They cared for the poor among them. And this is what the early church looked like. This is uh, Acts chapter 2. It says, All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. See, day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The gospel was truly good news. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, is how we, as persons who continue the apostolic and evangelical tradition of the, of the early church, that tradition of announcing the gospel of Jesus, how are we embodying that work? Is our gospel truly good news? And I mean good news for everyone. Good news for the poor. Good news for the captives. Good news for the sick for the hungry, and for the hurting? How is our gospel good news for those who suffer with depression, with anxiety, and other mental health concerns? How is our gospel good news for those who are shut in their homes and for those who have no home? How is our gospel good news for those who have experienced trauma? And how is it even good news for those who inflicted that trauma. How is our gospel good news for those who have and for those who have not, for those who are in power and for those who are powerless? We have to ask ourselves, does our gospel show favor to any particular group?
Because if our gospel shows favor, then it's, it's not truly the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it shows rather that our allegiance is shifted somewhere other than to the reigning cosmic king, King Jesus. And so I've harped on this relentlessly, but the gospel that we preach and live as a church had better be good news to this neighborhood and to this city that surrounds us. It had better invite others to come and see the life-promoting and life-sustaining work of God in our world. Because the gospel, this is really important, the gospel is how God gets what God wants. And what God wants is for humanity to be fully reconciled to one another and fully reconciled to him. That's what the kingdom of God is meant to be. And so the gospel is how God's kingdom is created and how God's kingdom spreads, creating a life-promoting and life-sustaining world while we wait for God to come. And this is good news for us because while it might seem like the Caesars of this world, you know, the, the leaders who are coronated and inaugurated with lavish parties and celebrations, those leaders who we celebrate by the, celebrate their rise in power, those who, who come into power with promises that they rarely can follow through with, leaders who it seems will stop at nothing but to let us down continually. As we look at our world and we see that, we have good news in our souls as we hold fast to the knowledge that our eternal hope is that the real king is already on the throne. And the gospel, it becomes the best news when Jesus' people live out their loyalty to him, when we, the church, decide that we will stop at nothing to see that God gets what God wants, to see that the good news of Jesus is truly good news for all who will hear it. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for good news. We thank you for the ways that you have shown up in our lives and, and shown us individually and as a church that, that you are the king, that you are on the throne, and, and that you have come to save us from our sins. But God, we, we pray that your good news would stir in us a, a, a holy discontent, that we wouldn't be satisfied until the good news of your coming the good news of your reign as the king of this world is heard both on the east side of the train tracks and over here on the west side. That we wouldn't be satisfied until your gospel is heard in the deep, dark places of our town and of our world. That we wouldn't be satisfied until the whole world knows that the kingdom of God is drawn near. That Jesus, the one who truly causes 
wars to cease. The one who is truly the savior of the world. The one who is truly worth celebrating as God's son. Has not only come, but has called all of us to come home. To be his children to place our, our faith in him, to, to declare our allegiance to him and him alone. God, cause us to be a people who embrace the word evangelical, knowing that to be evangelical is to be people whose mouth is the messenger of the gospel, of the good news. Not just good news for the rich and powerful, but good news for the humble, for the humiliated, for the down on their luck, for those that everyone walks by. For those who are unseen and unseeable. God, help us to bring good news to those people in those places. God, we love you. We just, we thank you that you came that you, you died on the cross, not just to leave us where we are, but to give us the, uh, the ability and the power to go out and to change this world on your behalf. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.